Hey there, my name is Matt Nickerson, lead pastor for Kingsway Christian Church. The following content is put together by some people who have different experiences, different expertise than I have. The views you hear expressed in these may or may not represent the elders and Kingsway Christian Church, so don't assume that going in. These are hard subjects that we believe God cares about deeply, and that's why we wanted to have a further conversation about these subjects. However, there are some terms or some concepts and ideas discussed in here that really aren't appropriate for little ones. So we recommend that you don't have your kids present in the room while you're going through this content. May God use this to encourage you, challenge you, and deepen you in your faith. God bless. You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. So good morning, everybody. I want to welcome you to today's podcast. We're talking about life and the value of life. And I have two very special guests with me here today. I'm going to allow them both to introduce themselves. So Miriam, why don't you go first? Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and help the, the listener get to know you. Hi, my name is Miriam Krober. I'm an OBGYN at IU West Hospital, and uh, my husband works here on staff as the missions pastor. We have three kids, six, eight, and nine. Congratulations. And Kelly, how about yourself? Uh, Kelly Williams. I live, just moved to Avon from Speedway a year ago, Um, so Hendricks County is new for me. Uh, Married 34 years, 33 years, yeah. yeah. Three kids, my husband and I run Table Ministries, which is Fellowship Over the Table, um, have published two books, um, have three children, all married, have three grandsons. So um, this message today is kind of built on what we did on Sunday um, on life, the value of life. What does God see of life? And so the reason I asked you two ladies to be here is because you both bring a different perspective on the wisdom of this text, uh, the wisdom of the subject, and just hoping to help people out there who are watching or listening, maybe going through some hard times. So I thought maybe I would start by asking um, just some very easy questions, get to know you guys a better, your expertise. But Miriam, I thought maybe you could just help us out. Why did you decide to become a doctor, and specifically this kind of doctor. What's the story there? Uh, well, interestingly, when I started um, in my my um, journey through becoming a physician, you know, you go through clinicals and you get to try surgery, you get to try OB and try all these different things. And I had in my mind for sure, I am not doing psych and I am not doing OB. I mean, that is, <laughs> no. So those were the things off my list. And of course, here I am as an OB. Um, but I, I loved it because you have so many different things that you do every day. You have surgery, you deliver babies, you see people in the office. But the thing that pulled me in the most, because I just knew I wanted to do surgery, was getting to see a patient from you know their teen years or once they're starting out with everything and then all the way through when they're you know in their older years. So it was just a fun continuity of care. You get to take care of them, deliver their baby, and then see them all the way through. So it was just a fun um, area where you get to have that relationship and build on, yeah. build on that. So that's so cool. That's so cool. <clears throat> Kelly, what's your story? How, are, why are you sitting here today talking with us? I'm on the other side of her story. <laughs> yeah. I would have been her patient, um, <laughs> as a young teen scared to death, um, in a circumstance that I wasn't sure how to handle. Mm. Um, and just watching the Lord, even though we don't know it, his hands on us. Yeah. I was ministering to somebody years ago And their argument was, I didn't know Jesus then. Mm. And I was like, yeah, but he knew you. Mm. And he just keeps his hands on us. And so here I am 37 years later. I have a 37-year-old, and I was pregnant at 17. And just through a series of circumstances, stumbled in, literally stumbled into glory and found the Lord Mm. um, and have watched him redeem my life. Mm. 
And so it's his testimony to share yeah. how he just meets us right in the pit, whatever pit we're in. Yeah. So. You know, here we are, would you say, 37 years later. He'll be 37 next month. I still hear the quivering in your voice. It's still so real. Yes. Um, we're going to dig into that story a little bit more here in just a moment. So, Miriam, I know that you are a Christian doctor, um, and, and I've talked to many Christian doctors over the years who say they pray for their patients, especially before surgeries or a difficult situation. Uh, do you find yourself praying for patients? And have you ever seen God answer like a big prayer thing going on? Like, and, and can you tell us that story? Um, yes. So yes to the praying for or with patients. Um, and I don't necessarily pray with every single one, but definitely for them and for their scenario, because people come in just with tons of different things on their mind and they're distracted by whatever. But um, but yeah, getting to talk through that with them and then just having my little prayer list of like, you know, what I have for my patients and praying for them. But as far as him answering, I don't know that there's a specific scenario, of course, that I can think of at this point, but yeah. you know, I mean, whatever it is, whether it be praying for a delivery to go smooth, just cause you know, they're stressed or anxious or it's a, could have a complication, you know, I mean, I, I pray for that all the time and you know, God just he has blessed me in the sense that, you know, everyone has done well. But I think the one thing that stands out just if coming to a story would be we had a mom that um, was had a routine pregnancy. She had no no issues whatsoever. And then at her delivery, she had a severe hemorrhage or a severe bleed. And so um, it was one that she had to be transferred, lifelined out to Methodist. And, um, but she walked out of the hospital three days later. And it was wow. just the most, you know, she had coded on the table twice. And, wow. Um, but it was just amazing to see how God moved in that, in, in that scenario. But, um, and then just same with, with babies that are ill or sick. And, you know, God has just done miraculous things through that. So, yeah. so yes, to answer that I pray for <laughs> and with my patients. But it's just fun to see how, how God yeah. And works that out. Yeah. So. Have you ever found yourself in a moment in surgery? I'm thinking of, I don't know, the TV show Lost is in my head. And you've got Jack, who's like the, the main character, and he's a doctor, and he's talking about, you know, if things really go wrong, he takes 10 seconds and he just breathes and he allows all the fear to come in for 10 seconds, but that's all it can have. He won't give it any more. And I remember that moment, like, what a powerful moment. I thought, man, I wish Jack knew Jesus. Do you ever have one of those <laughs> right. moments where everything is going chaos and you're like, Jesus, right here, right now, I need you? Do you feel oh. like you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's. It's, you know, it just gives you peace and comfort to know that you, that he's listening and he, you know, he's there with you. Yeah. So, but yes, definitely when there's stressful situations, specifically like the case that I mentioned earlier, yeah. um, the two guys that I work with, um, one moved on now, but the guy that I work with now, like he's a godly, you know, godly man. And so it was just nice to know that the two of us are in there and we're, we had our, you know, spouses praying because we had had a second to like step out and and do that. And so knowing that he's there and you can just take that moment. And that's very cool. So. I love the confidence of the peace that that has to provide at times. Oh yeah. So Kelly, coming back to your story for a minute, I want to give you some time now to dig into some of the details of the story. Do you mind taking us back to uh, your childhood and kind of what led to this place that you were tell us, uh, telling us about? You, yeah. you gave me the short <laughs> version, maybe give the little bit longer version here. So I was the youngest of five. My mom was widowed twice by 27. Wow. So um, my father died when I was three, and I have two memories of my dad, which is how the book that I wrote opens. Um, one was uh, after he had been in a bad accident and his face was bandaged. And the, so when I started to write the book and I wasn't really sure what the Lord wanted, um, the opening line of the book was, above all else, it's the look in his eye I remember. Mm. And that look... Um, 
It wasn't his medicinal smell or the bandage on his face. But that look, when, when a girl has it and then you lose it, it oh. unknowingly creates a void. And so that becomes the journey that I enter into. So my mom, when my dad died, my mom became both mother and father. She always has been to all five. Mm. And she did remarry. And um, at, when I was 15, she, they decided they couldn't live together. And it had been very tumultuous. And so she ends up moving to Indianapolis, and I came with her. As a, uh, I'd finished my sophomore year. I'd been all in this. I'd gone to school at the same place the whole time. And I did not like Indianapolis. And uh, about four months later, she came back and said, we're going to try and work things out. And you can go back to Youngstown. And I'll come back in January. And so I did. And then January, they decided that there was no reconciliation possible. Mm -hmm. And so she gave me the option to return to Indy or to stay there and live with my stepfather and then finish out my high school because I only had like a year and a half left. And I was like, mm, I'm not coming to Indiana. Hate it. So I stayed back there. Well, things happened, and he started to cross boundary lines that weren't healthy, and so I took off. Mm. And up to that point, again, you already have a you already have one wound, unknowing with the loss of a father, but now you have removed all stability for a young girl. And I ended up as God's providence, living with um, my eldest stepsister, which was my this gets confusing, my stepfather's eldest daughter. Okay. who was married to a pastor, and they had worked with David Wilkerson okay. and, and uh, did ministry in the streets of Harlem. Mm. And so they took me in, and I lived there and came out between my junior senior year for the summer just be with my mom, and then the requirement was I needed to get a job, mm. and I met the manager. And it was funny because my mom was with me, and she looked at me in the mall and said, stay away from him, Kelly, he's trouble. And I was like, oh, he's fine. Right, I was 17. Um, my mom returned to Indianapolis. I stayed in Youngstown and had not had any kind of sexual act. I was a good Irish Catholic girl. <laughs> I just was. I was a really, like, I loved the church. And, and I didn't, I wouldn't have had language back then. But I had just always found my heart safe mm. at the church. And my mom's words were, you know, just don't get weird, Kelly. She was super ecumenical. <laughs> you could go to any church you wanted as long as it was Jesus crucified. Just don't get weird. And I already was, but I didn't know it. Mm. Anyway, got pregnant the first time I had been with him. Mm. And I knew that he was married. He had told me he had filed for divorce. Um, but there was such an emotional component at stake at this point where because nobody was there and because I had been so vulnerable and he filled a gap yeah. and so and I write in the book your body goes where your heart has already been and it just does and even and so I found myself in this situation where uh he had he had he had just told me that his wife was pregnant mm -hmm. and two weeks later so it's the beginning of January he told me his wife was pregnant two weeks later I found out I was pregnant Two weeks after that, I had received a letter from the American Academy of Dramatic Arts inviting me to come and audition. And it was just the perfect storm. And my mom was out here, and there wasn't any support, and everybody back home, he didn't, he wasn't in a position that he wanted another baby. Um, he had already had, this would have been his second with his wife. And there was just a lot of encouragement to go and get an abortion. Mm. And, and I remember thinking, I don't, 
the, you know, you, you have all of the voices, you have all of the, the fight in your head that the world puts out there. But there's such a fear. Uh, there's such a grief about the life that you've now lost mm-hmm. and what you're having to face. And for a young girl um, who has your entire future and had every re- I was the world statistic to have every reason to abort. And the pressure was intense. And he was screaming at me. My friends were going, Kelly, it's no big deal. And, and my sister, on one given night, I was just weeping because I didn't know what to do. And I, she had talked to me, and she just stood for life. She just like, and so I woke up at about 1 in the morning. I couldn't sleep, and it was a February night. And I got in my car. And I drove to the local Catholic church that had just built like an altar shrine to the Virgin Mary. And I write in the book, I pulled up there, and it wasn't Mary I needed. Mm -hmm. It was Jesus. And I got out, and like it's northeast Ohio, it's lake effect. It's cold. (laughs) I mean, it's cold in northeast Ohio in February, and there's snow. and, And I remember falling down on my knees on that altar, just weeping to the Lord. I'm like, please take this from me. I can't do this. And I don't know how long it's, you know, when you encounter the Lord, time is, it's just infinite. And all of a sudden, I just heard this voice say, child, if you do this, I will work it for your good. Hmm. And I wept for a long time. And I got up from that altar and I knew couldn't do an abortion I couldn't and I didn't know what it was going to look like and I was scared to death but man 37 years later I I still stand in awe of how faithful he's been and how good he's worked it and I have no answers other than it was Jesus who was faithful I'm assuming you know this, Kelly, but um, you actually quoted a passage of the Bible, yeah. Romans eight twenty eight. I didn't know it then. Of course, <laughs> which is which is only more affirmation that it was the voice of God. Yeah. Um, but God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. Notice it doesn't say and without pain. Right. <laughs> and without tears. Right. And without, and without like, suffering. Obedience. Right. Right. Yeah. It, there's there. Somebody is years later when I started to write the book. Barbara looked at me and she said, "Kelly, the gospel, it will cost you everything. <laughs> It'll cost you everything, but man, the reward." Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kelly. We're we're going to come back to that. I just had mm-hmm. a thought, Miriam, for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you don't feel safe in this line of questioning, totally fine. We can edit it or not even answer it. Um, my question for you, though, is so uh, you are an extremely successful woman, and I love that because I want women in the world to know women can be successful. That's not always been common in American history. It's somewhat new on the stage, but your family had a unique dynamic to it for a while there. What was that dynamic? Do you mind talking to us about talking about Kyle yeah yeah (laughs) okay yeah no God has just been so good and 
preparing everything the way he has for our lives. But um, when we first moved here to Indiana, um, Kyle taught. My husband taught, so now he's in ministry. But when he first got here, he taught, which is what he was um, went to school for. So, um, But just with our schedules and the lifestyle that we had, he said he volunteered to stay home with the kids. And it was just such a... Um, you know, initially I was kind of against it and not because I felt like he shouldn't stay home. I felt like we could work it out. It'll be fine. But it was such a blessing to have him um, be a stay-at-home dad. And oddly enough, he met an entire group of guys that were a stay-at-home dad. There was six of them. Um, And it was just such a, yeah, it was a, it was a blessing to have someone stay at home with the kids and be able to just work the schedule, the schedule out because it can obviously be a bit um, crazy at times. Of course. So my question there then, after you've set the stage for that is, do you ever ever have days where you like wish you could just be at home more or with the kids more? Is that, is there grief in that for you? Um, you know, before I was married and before I had kids, I was going to, um, do a fellowship in oncology. So female oncology. And that was, um, I did a year of it and decided, God led me to a different direction, which was such a blessing. But I remember telling people, like, I'm not going to stay at home with my kids. Like, why would I do that? You know, I was just this, like, anti-stay-at-home-with-kids, you know, I'm a working woman, I'm fine. You know, and then I have these kids, and I'm like, oh. They're kind of cool. I know, they're pretty great. So, um, so yeah, I do at times, and I've kind of stepped back a little bit, and I have a day off a week where I can, okay. you know, yes, get stuff done, but also be there for them, which has been which has been great. So, yes, I would say yes to the – I do have times where I feel like, man, I would love to be – I would like to be the stay-at-home mom. You know, right. <laughs> Kyle can work. Um, <laughs> but I, I do feel like, obviously, God has put me in this position, and I, I love it and enjoy it, and I'm certainly blessed to be in it, so. So uh, the reason I bring that up, there's two things I want to say real quick. So for those who are watching or listening, um, her husband is one of my heroes. Um, I love Kyle to death. He was in one of my men's groups. And um, literally, he taught me um, that I had probably a masculine or chauvinistic view of Scripture that I didn't even realize that I had. And uh, I'm so thankful for the men and women that God has put in my life to reveal to me, even my own I want to say the word prejudices, but I don't even know if that's the right word. But immaturities, ignorance, I don't pick, pick whatever word. I'm, I'm okay with all of those. Um, and this whole series, in a lot of ways, is that. <laughs> like, hey, I'm on a journey here to grow, and I hope you are too, kind of thing. But the reason I was bringing that up now is, you know, I think a lot of, let's just use um, young pregnant women. It may not be teenagers, but young pregnant women. They're not established in life yet. And now they're facing, what do I do? There's the death of my dream, I think, or there's the the death of my child, which path do I choose? And I think I didn't even realize this until you guys are sitting here talking. In some ways, you're both living this out. I mean, you know, you always wanted to be a mother, but you always wanted to be a doctor or whatever. I don't know when that birth came alive. And you found a way that God still works all things together for the good, that you have found a way even in the path that you chose. And um, I don't know, do either of you ladies have any advice for um, pregnant ladies who are facing this onslaught of struggle of dream and family and parenting and all of that coming together? Like, what wisdom would you give to these ladies? The very first thing I would say is that it doesn't doesn't end here. Mm. Your story doesn't end here. It might take a different journey than you thought. But this isn't the death sentence. It's just... But it feels like it at that moment. Mm. The desperation is unparalleled. Wow. Um, 
but it doesn't end. And I think, I think to be able to like lift our eyes up on the horizon and go, there's something beyond this moment. Mm. That's better if we can get there, but we have to get, we have to bridge them. You know, I did training with the crisis pregnancy center. And, and one of the things that I so valued about the, their approach to it was their goal wasn't to save the baby. Their goal was to deal with the heart of the woman. And if we can, if we can deal with the heart of a woman and, and, and the fear that she feels, then we can get them beyond this momentary decision. Yeah. How would you add to that? Um, so, I've, you know, having obviously the job that I'm in, I don't have a scenario where I've been in that situation, but just seeing women, um, you know, one girl came in and she didn't know she was pregnant, oh. um, but she was in labor. <laughs> and she was, I know. I, I, Seems ow. like a few months missing in this. Right. Yeah. And I, well, and you know, you'd think it was denial, but she to this day says that she didn't know. Um, well, in that delivery process, um, she decided she was going to put the baby up for adoption. She did not even want to see the baby. She didn't know what the gender was. She didn't want to know any of that. And um, so going down that route, you know, a couple weeks, months later, it was an open adoption. The parents always said, you know, we were happy to show you the baby. And it has been so cool to see her now because she has a wonderful relationship with that family and she gets to see her kid and, um, and they, and she, they get pictures and send them to her. And that story along with another one of a mom who didn't think she was ready, um, got pregnant and, um, she ended up giving her baby up to people that she knew, um, but ended up, kind of being forced in that manner, I should say, just was forced to give it up. And then she got her baby back. But just seeing the joy mm-hmm. in those parents' eyes, you know, in the in the girls' eyes, right. you know, once they got to meet their baby, you know, it was just, just been amazing to see. So I guess I mentioned all of that to say, you know, there are other options, whether it be putting the baby up for adoption or just, you know, ending up keeping your baby. But I, just to kind of reiterate what she said, like, I can't imagine missing the things in my kids' lives every day, like how what a blessing it is to have them. And just to know that, like she said, it's not the, it's not a death sentence. It's not the end of your life. It is such a blessing, you know, from God in so many other ways. So of course, just seeing that carried out in a process and in a life has just been amazing to see. Of course, of course. Yeah. I've got a million questions, but, um, anybody else have anything they want to say on that real quick? Okay. So, I want to ask you this question. Uh, I'll ask it both up front, but you can answer them separately, Kelly. Um, you told me some things on the phone the other day that that your mom said to you when you were a kid. Uh, you want to fill us in on what that is first before I ask my question? You mean about the pregnancy test? Yeah. Well, about the and you're gonna you're gonna do these things and you are not gonna do these things. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my mom, so when she suspected that I was pregnant, drove home from Indy and brings me the pregnancy test. And so we're standing in the bathroom watching this, like, I think it was a pink or a, yeah, it was a yeah. pink cross. That, yeah, yeah, plus, plus sign. sign. Yeah, yeah. And she looks at me so calm, and she says, well, you have some decisions to make. And I just kind of looked at her, and she said, you can have this baby and release it for adoption. You can have this baby and parent it. But you must know if you choose that, you're doing it. I won't. Mm. Um, but if you choose to abort this baby, I won't help you. Wow. You're on your own on that. Yeah. And you had asked me on the phone if this is fair to share, and I loved, and this might this be your is second, my, this yeah, is my your next question. question. Yeah, go ahead. And, and I told, she threw me off guard on that one. Um, did I wish my mom had given me any other option? Is that? Yeah. Is that I said, what, what do you wish your mom had said? 
Um, I'm so thankful for what she did say. Mm. Um, her absolutes have remained. She's 82 now. Her absolutes have remained a guiding light, mm. you know, in all of her children. Um, but in that moment, you know, I was so thankful she didn't scream at me. Mm-hmm. I was so thankful she didn't shame me. Right? It was just she was just going to lock it in. I don't know that I would ask my mom to do anything differently than what she did mm-hmm. because the parameters were so clearly defined and there was such stability because one of the things that I had lost were all those boundary lines. Yeah. Right? Because family support creates boundaries. Absolutely. And that's why in today's age where the family's being so destroyed, mm-hmm. our kids are so much more vulnerable than I ever was. Yeah. Right? And so... And we could go, yeah, uh, I'm going to stay on focus. But so so her boundary lines, they just created a stability that that I had lost in the year that she wasn't there. So I'm so thankful for what she said. Absolutely. And her enforcement on that, as I moved out, back out to Indianapolis, because I, I graduated from high school and then immediately moved back out to Indy. And I was, I don't know, five and a half, six months pregnant. And she was just like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to work. You're going to split the rent with me. You're going to split the utilities. You're going to split the food. You're going to put the baby in childcare. You're going to make your car payment. And then and <laughs> only then will I help you. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if you want to go out, you'll pay, you'll pay for a babysitter. I'm not watching him. Wow. And it wasn't to be unkind. Right. It was to empower mm. and to say this baby needs to know who his mother is. Yeah. And it's not me. Yeah. But... Did she, I, did she break those rules at all? Did she help at all with babysitting? Did she? No. Really? She did not. She okay. would help me intermittently, okay. but I didn't have any friends here. Mm. So I, there wasn't a going out. And then, yeah. Did uh, it ever feel in those moments, life is over, um, would you say 17 yeah. years old, yeah. I'm pregnant, I can't even go out and hang out with friends, I got nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is terrible. Life is over. I'm done. Yes, and and yes, and then he ultimately went back to his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt was born in October. He, he told me he went back to his wife in January, and that started a whole new level of depression and mm. um, a fight for life. So, how did you pull through that? Um, it was really dark. Babies have a way of making you get up in the morning, <laughs> right? Um, months, months, months later, uh, so the unhealthiness really manifested in an anorexia issue. Mm. Um, I was maybe 89 pounds, 90 pounds, uh, and my mom looked at me, and I think she was so desperate, and she sat down, and she said, I have one question, and I was like, What? And she said, do you know how I got through the death of two husbands? And I just looked at her. And she said, every day I would tell myself, it doesn't hurt as much as it did the first day. Wow. And she looked at me and she said, Kelly, does it hurt as much as it did the first day you found out? And I said, no. And she said, so you're getting better. And one day, I mean, I wouldn't leave the house unless my mom was, it was bad. And one by one, she, like day by day, she helped me get a little stronger. And then 
I don't know. And then the the Lord, like she re- she always required us to go to church when we started at Chapel Rock. Great church. It's a great this church. church. Wouldn't be here without them. They planted us. That's was, that's true. Yeah. So it was when Dennis Bolton was there. Yeah. I don't know if you knew I him. Do. And that's where I found, like, literally, I think that that was a scripture verse that the Lord had spoken. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and and like, verse by verse, the Lord put me back together. Yeah. And He's been doing that ever since. But my mom was, I think, the catalyst, that light at the end of the tunnel wow. that kept me going. Miriam, can I ask you a question here? I know from being a pastor, so many women deal with postpartum depression. Can you give us some wisdom, some insight, maybe some mother who's listening who doesn't understand why she feels the way she feels or anything you've learned over the years that you would offer to them? Um, So, yes, unfortunately, women do deal with that quite a bit. Um, Things that I've just learned through the process and um, with ladies that go through it are um, a couple. We have a lot of great resources, whether it be just counseling and good family support. Um, but it, you know, I, 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 things that I tell them all the time is that you are not alone. Yeah. You know, you're not alone in that. There are other women that are super anxious. I would say a lot of it too is not just postpartum depression, but anxiety. Yeah. And I just try and let the women know, you know, it is you know, you're not doing anything wrong. If you're loving your baby, feeding your baby, like you're doing a great job. Amen. So just (laughs) be be satisfied with that because they get, they put so much pressure on themselves. You know, I'm not breastfeeding or I'm not making enough or, you know, (laughs) am I doing it right? Or, you know, all of these things. And so I just feel like just telling them, you know, you're doing a wonderful job. Yeah. Cut yourself some slack and just enjoy your baby. Enjoy yourself. But, and and it is, it is a true thing and it's a medical a medical condition. Um, so sometimes women do need medications. So counseling medications is what we encourage, but obviously we don't want anybody to become medication dependent if they don't have to. But, um, but yeah, sometimes that just, you need it. Sometimes you need it, but just to let them know that they are not alone. They're not the only woman that's been through it. They're not going to be the only one and that they, as as she said, that they're going to, they're going to make it through. Right. It's that remembering, you guys keep using this analogy of the light at the end of the tunnel, that analogy, you know, if you could just, when I was in Peru, um, I went on this long walk in the rain, in the rainforest with my friend Ben Bullard, and uh, there came this point, we literally, you're okay, we came, there came this point, we're walking through this train tunnel, because there's no other way to get back, and um, you get into the middle of the tunnel, I don't remember how long it was, I just know you get in the middle of the tunnel, you literally couldn't see light either direction, forward or backward. And I'm, I remember because you now at that point you can't look down and see the rails in front of you that you're trying not to trip over, and also thinking if a train comes through here, there's a very very narrow margin up against the wall where we're going to have to sit there the entire time this train goes by. It was it, it was exciting and exhilarating and terrifying all at the same time. And I remember looking at Ben and saying, "Just stop and look forward to look backward. This is what a person means when they say there is no light at the end of the tunnel. But if you just keep walking." It's only a few steps away. There was like just a tiniest glimmer of light because you become disoriented in that darkness, totally disoriented. Like, I don't know what up or down is. I don't know what to do next. I literally don't know. It's like I was heading this direction. My body was facing this way. I can't see where I'm going, but I just have to keep taking the next step. And man, what a powerful analogy for where these ladies feel. Um, Kelly, what would you say to somebody who feels like they're in that kind of position? I think what you, that you were with a buddy when you were in the tunnel. Oh, that's a good word, Kelly. Right? I think to remember you're not alone. Yeah. Right? Like even though and that's part of the that's part of the deception of the moment, right? If the enemy can isolate us, 
if he can trap us into thinking we're the only one. Nobody gets it. But you're not in that tunnel alone. Yeah. There is somebody in your life, whether it's a mother or a friend, some a doctor, right? There's somebody. And I think to have to have a support system where like to be birthed out of compassion for another and to be able to say like so when Jesus talks about like take uh, make sure you take the plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of, at somebody else's. Yeah, yeah. It's that place of understanding when we know what it's like to live in pain mm-hmm. and, we, and the Lord has had to take a speck out of our eye, we understand the pain of the process. Absolutely. And so that bursts that compassion yeah. so that we can walk with somebody else and to remember to say, like, even though I might not understand what your tunnel feels like, yeah. I know what a tunnel feels like. Yeah, that's a good word. Right, and yeah. so my tunnel may not be your tunnel, but my compassion can walk with you. Yeah, yeah. And something you said, Miriam, I want to touch on. One of my friends is a counselor, and he I spent some time under him. Um, he, he is my mentor, paying him to do his job. And uh, one of the things he said to me years ago, like um, 2002 or so, is he said, Matt, studies show, so I don't have this study, I've never read this study, I'm, I'm taking his word for it. But he said, studies show that counseling by itself is not really all that effective. And medicine by itself is not really all that effective. What medicine can do in a moment is help calm down the anxious thoughts, can help calm down the nerves, can get you through a dark tunnel moment. But at the end of the day, you need both. And the both together can do profound things for the human heart and mind because the medicine can allow you to regulate your brain enough to slow down, but then the counseling can help you figure out why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? What is driving this? And if it's not just chemical, if it is something in my heart that needs dealt with, then the counseling can help you process through that. And he said, man, when we put the two together, we see unbelievable results a lot of times. So I'm not a doctor. I don't even try to recommend things, but I tell people, um, thank God the stigma of both counseling and medicine is coming down. Because for years, you couldn't even go see a counselor. You couldn't reach out for help because we'd call them shrinks or head doctors. Like there's something wrong with you. You're psychotic. You're, something in your brain is wrong. Instead of, hey, um, you know, if your arm is broke, you go see a, an expert to set that, right? So if your heart is broke, go see an expert to set that. I do believe Jesus is the expert, but he's trained some really good people to help us navigate those issues. So you wrote something down, Miriam, and I'm curious. You prompted yourself to say something. What is it you want to share with us? Yeah, no, just in kind of she made me think of it. But, you know, I think the one thing that women need to know, too, is to speak up. Because like you were saying, like it was such a stigma in the past of it and negative connotation with it. But I feel like, you know, now women just need to learn to not learn, but be not afraid, I should say. Yeah. Be not afraid to speak up because it is something that I want women to know that it happens a lot. It happens a lot. And like you said, with medicine, with counseling, there are so many ways to get through it and with a fabulous support system because that's the couple of things that I ask women when they come in. Do you have a good support system? Do you have people that can help you through this? Because that'll make a big difference. Do you have any places you, you point people to when... <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I would say Care to Change is probably a really oh, yeah. good one that we send people to. That's here in Avon for those listening. Mm-hmm. Um, we send people to Care to Change. We have a lady that deals with a lot of our patients that even it's when it starts, even during pregnancy. Um, so her name is Tracy McGinnis. She works um, out of several hospitals here in Indy, but she does a lot with pregnant ladies. And then um, we send people to Eagle Creek Counseling. We have a whole list of people yeah. that we send them to. But, yeah. you know, I tell women that if you have any issues, like just even make an appointment to come talk in the office. I don't Absolutely. care. Just come in. But as long as you are speaking up and letting people know how you're feeling so you're not yeah. dealing with it alone and feel like you are alone in the tunnel. Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you have any resources, including yourself, Kelly? Feel free to tell us a little uh, about that. Thank you. There's a couple different ones. Um, if you're talking with somebody in a crisis pregnancy, then clearly Life Centers. Yeah. Um, they're I, all around Indy. For they're those all around Indy. Yeah, that's a big one. 
um, care to change would also be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not too savvy on the on the counseling centers. I, I just That's don't know okay. them. It's yeah. not that. Um, for somebody who is wrestling with, with the choice of what do I do post, like they've chosen life, yeah. but now what do I do post? Um, there is an adoption agency that's just been birthed in Avon called Tapestry. Oh, cool. Yeah. I haven't heard of them yet. Yeah. So it's Tapestry Family Services. Um, a wonderful lady run by Vicki Vibbert. Okay. So um, I could pull up the website, but it's escaping me right now. That would be another one. Table. I mean, clearly Table Ministries were mm-hmm. in that when before we started, Merriman asked me, what do you do? And well, what is Table Ministries? And it really is sitting around the table and talking about the heart issues yeah. um, that women just find themselves in yeah. to be able to, because I think, and I was going to ask you this, Miriam, as Matt talked about um, this empowerment of women that is more recent than in our history, how much is the stigma of postpartum being lifted because women's issues are being more tabled hmm. today than they were 40 years ago, to maybe to our grandparents' generation, hmm. where it wasn't discussed and it wasn't validated. Would you say that, that, that this emergence of empowerment has something to do with women being able to get help? I think it probably, well, I'd be willing to bet, I would say that it is um, does have something to do with it, but I feel like, you know, because it has been so recognized now, like that is something the moment they get in the hospital, we first ask them if they're safe, and then after they deliver, like, we have a whole questionnaire that we go through, and then we refer them if that is an issue. And as a physician during the pregnancy, we're screening for that. So I'm not sure how much it correlates. I'd be willing to bet it does. But um, but yes, it is something that because it has been televised, certain situations have been televised, I think it, people are now aware that it's something that we need to hit ahead of time so that women don't feel left alone during those time frames and that they have nowhere to turn. Yeah. They feel like they can't, but... I think it was in the book Captivated by John and Stacey Eldridge. And if I'm wrong on the location, I'm pretty sure the quote came from them where they said, I think it was Stacey said, but I don't remember that much. um, Women feel at every moment like they are too much and not enough. And I think if I'm summarizing what they were saying well in the quote is um, whether it's culture, whether it's the, the byproduct of the fall from the garden, whatever it is. At any moment, women are told, you know, they're, you know, they're too emotional or they're too irrational or they're too this or they're too that. So they're too much. And then they're not enough because, you know, you don't, you don't make, you don't cook enough or you don't do this with your husband enough or you aren't around for your kids enough or you aren't, you don't work enough. So that's why you don't get paid the same as men. So at every moment, every woman is too much and not enough. And I think, man, what a burden for these young pregnant women who are trying to figure out their lives and their futures and now they're too much and they're not enough and like you'll never be enough to be a mom because you're gonna have to do all these other things you're gonna be too much and to this what wisdom do you have for young mothers in general like hey you need to know this that word enough is always interesting Hmm. um my daughter hates it she hates the word enough as a woman um but yet when you look in the scriptures the only time that God uses it is when he's talking about his abundance, mm. right? That he's the God of more than enough. Yeah. And so it's just an interesting twist on that pressure. Um, I think it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to look at a young mom, in re, especially in today's generation, when so many of the young moms are, feel that um, need to work full time and be, they feel so torn and there's that guilt element and... Yeah, that socialization is tough. Yeah. 
like you said, I mean, the only way we're enough is with Christ, and Christ is enough for us. But, you know, looking at a woman with all the pressures of, are you using cloth diapers? Are you using regular diapers? Are you breastfeeding? Are you not breastfeeding? Oh, you're bottle feeding. You're, you obviously are doing something wrong. Or how dare you work and bottle feed instead of breastfeed and just, there are, there are a ton of pressures, but I, I mean, and it's not anything earth shattering, but I would just say, cut yourself some slack. Like, you know, cut yourself slack. Like you're doing a great job, but, um, and can I take that same point, Miriam, and yeah. say it now to the parent or to the husband um, or to others in the lives of that person, cut them some slack. Um, the burden, and, and oh, by the way, I've heard, being a man, I'm always told I'm not allowed to speak on female things, but I've heard the emotions start going crazy during pregnancy. The hormones are raging. So, I mean, it's just a natural chemical response to what's happening. So give lots of grace to, to the pregnant people around you as they're trying to work through this as well. I'm growing a human. You, <laughs> that's kind of not, a, not a small deal, right? <laughs> By the way, God knew he better give it to the, the female portion of his race because uh, the men couldn't have handled it. Can I add one thing? Please, yes. Um, one of the things that jumped out was your husband who contrary to culture chose to stay at home yeah. and ended up finding six other men. Yeah. And I think that again, we're going to hit that support group system where here's a man who went countercultural and probably without those six men would have struggled a little bit more with his decision in being the odd man out, if you will. And is it enough because of the pressure that men feel to be, the hunters and the killers to bring it home. Yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah. So I think there's such truth and in, in value in in his example yeah. that in in that camaraderie with six other men who were doing life like him, mm-hmm. he found a reassurance. And in those places where he doubted and struggled, mm-hmm. he probably had those men speaking into him. Yeah. I think it's the same thing. It transfers Absolutely. with women as I watch my daughter-in-law and my daughter be yeah. first-time moms. And they're both wrestling with, am I doing this right? I mean, there's such a learning curve right. with that first one. They're the, they're the guinea pig. Right. You don't know what you're doing. Should I do this? Should I let him cry? Should I not let him cry? Whatever the questions are, where they have it together, and in that togetherness, yeah. they're stumbling into their own glory, if you yeah. will. Yeah. I was meeting this morning before this with a pastor, and uh, we were talking about marriage and blah, blah, blah. And he quoted the passage where, I think it's Peter says, um, husbands dwell with your wives. And then I think he says some other things in there. Peter says some things about as the weaker partner and some other things. And that's where pastors have tended to focus. Weaker there doesn't mean weaker in personality or weaker in character. Just generally speaking, women tend to be not as strong as men. Let's not talk about birth because that's one of the thing. But my pastor friend, he said, Matt, he says dwell. That's the same word that's used to describe Jesus leaving heaven to come to earth to dwell with us. And what he's saying then is be with, be in the lives of, be around, engage in, get to know, love and care for. Imagine what would happen in the world if more people would do that, dwell among us. I was reading a great book. It's one of my favorite books. It's on the Trinity, which it sounds funny to say, but it's like a basic level book on the Trinity. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. I was looking for a quote for a a female in our church, and I stumbled around this one. And I don't think anybody else is finding this profound as I am, but it goes to something you just said, Mary. It is owning me for two days straight. It's owning me. Here's the quote, and then I'll tell you why it's owning me. It says this, sometimes we find ourselves tiring of Jesus, stupidly imagining that we have seen all there is to see and used up all the pleasure there is to be had in him. We get spiritually bored. But Jesus 
has etern- or satisfied the mind and the heart of the infinite God for eternity. Our boredom is simple blindness. If the Father can be infinitely and eternally satisfied in Jesus, then he must be overwhelmingly all-sufficient for us. And the reason that is owning me is, first of all, this whole idea um, that God has been in a, a relationship with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for all eternity. But God was never bored because Jesus was there. So God was satisfied because he had his son. And that son is the very gift he gave us. And so what I want to say, and this is just the pastor, the Bible teacher coming out of me for a minute, for all of the people out there, husbands or wives, parents or whoever, in whatever situation has led you to this moment, you feel terrified, you feel afraid, you feel hopeless. The very God, Jesus himself, who has satisfied the infinite father for eternity, he's here in you. This is why Paul says, and God longs to fill all things everywhere with him. So the power is immeasurable. The love is unbelievable. You will never be alone. You will never be bored. Just lean in, lean in. So I'll close with a couple of quick questions for each of you. Um, so Miriam, you've got, a, you've got somebody out there. They're facing an, un, an unplanned pregnancy. They're scared, they're afraid, and they're considering all their options. Is there anything from a medical perspective, not the hope and the, you know, God is good perspective, but from a medical perspective, I wish everybody considering saying abortion knew this. I wish they understood this about a baby and, and its development or, or whatever it might be anything you'd share with us? Well, my, obviously we have women that come in and are scared and definitely an unplanned pregnancy, but the thing that I enjoy as a physician doing with them is doing their first ultrasound and showing them, you know, the heartbeat starts, you know, right before six weeks. It may look like a grain of rice, but it has a heartbeat and it's beautiful. (laughs) And, you know, getting to scan them, like I, my favorite time to scan a baby is like nine to 10 weeks. It's a little gummy bear and it's just moving around (laughs) in there and it's so cute. So I guess what I would just love to share with them is that it's a living, it's a living baby and it's in there and it is perfect. And God is, you know, you may not have planned it, but man, God has just made a beautiful human and it's going to be amazing. Um, So I guess just coming from a medical perspective, uh, getting to show them that and say, it is real. It is a little, a little nugget in there. And um, just consider that it's already, it's there and it's, it's a real human. Yeah. Thank you for that. Kelly, is there anything you would say in the same context, some unwanted pregnancy and the fears? And again, anything you bring to that conversation that you haven't already shared? So many years later, um, as I've sat with women who have struggled with infertility, Mm. which is heart-wrenching, or have experienced an unplanned pregnancy and then are now struggling to become pregnant, that if we could remember, and I'm not advocating, hear my heart on this. So like every life, God is the author of the womb, yeah. right? God's the author of life. And I would tell, here I am with a 37-year-old going, why what I did was wrong, mm-hmm. and the Lord has redeemed it. In my heart of hearts, Matthew's life is sovereign. Yeah. And I as I've dealt with those inf- you know, those women struggling with infertility that have had other children and now want another one and can't. Like, God is sovereign over the lives that he has given to you. Yeah. And you didn't get pregnant because you were sexually active. You got pregnant because the Lord put a life in there. Yeah. 
Right. And that's the choice we get to partner with him on. Yeah. And there's always, uh, to, to, for, and as many post-abortive women as I've ministered with, I've never seen, God can redeem anything, but it's so much more challenging to redeem the, the choice of, a, of abortion yeah. versus the choice of life. Yeah. Life is so much easier. It's so redemptive in its nature. Yeah. And so that, right, love conquers fear hmm. every time. It just does. To that end, um, can you tell us a little bit about Matthew? You, you obviously have, what did you say, three children today, three, three adult children uh-huh. and three grandkids. But tell us a little bit about Matthew's story, just to help people understand. Yeah, so we, I remained single until he was four. Mm. Um, one of the questions I always get is, did he know? Did he know from the beginning? Mm. Um, I ended up getting married when he was four, and, and Randy has since adopted him when he was five. Anyway, um, so everybody would say, did he know? He always knew. Hmm. He, I can remember when we were single, dropping him off at daycare and or picking him up, and he would go, Mommy, I don't have a daddy. Oh. And I would say, you do. He was just in Ohio, and he's with his other family. Hmm. Right? Because truth, it's better to wound yep. with truth That's than to wound with, a de- with deceit. Um, th- many details of Matthew's story are Matthew's to share. Of course. That's um, wise. But so if those of you listening and have somebody, it's their story to it's tell. It's their story yeah. to tell. Um, but he always knew he was the ring bearer in the wedding. It's kind of hard to say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> anyway, um, but he, he now, um, yeah, he was, he's, a, he was a good athlete in high school, ended up going to Wheaton college, wow. uh, got his undergrad from Wheaton, got his master's, I don't know, from John Brown. Anyway, he pastors on the South side, Excellent. um, has bigger personality than most rooms can contain, um, <laughs> Loves, just carries the father's heart. He just got married two, three years ago. Yeah. And then um, had Noah seven months ago. Great. And he's just crazy about Jesus. And you stand and you think, who, uh, there have been three great slaughters against the unborn mm-hmm. with Moloch. Yeah. And it was maybe a year or so ago that I felt like the Lord told me, you saved him from the fires of Moloch. Yeah. Thank you. So for those who don't know Hebrew history, Molech was one of the false gods. Uh, I don't remember which foreign nation at the time, um, and they would often do child sacrifice. And one of the reasons why God punishes Israel in the Old Testament, because he was abundantly clear through the law, you will not take part, not only in the worshiping of these false gods, but the evil things that worshiping these false gods do. And he specifically mentions, like sacrificing your children. So when the Israelites start... um, blending their worship with the worship of the four nations, Molech becomes one of those gods they worship. And as a byproduct, they start slaughtering their babies to worship Molech. And God specifically rebukes them. These were my children. You destroyed my children. So powerful. Something to think about. Um, And by the way, every time Satan wants to stop a move of God, whether it's Pharaoh with Moses or whether it's uh, King Herod with Jesus, he will often try to take out the family and especially the baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it I think we would be very missed to lose sight of the fact that when the Lord looks at you yeah. and says, Thank you, yeah. it's a big deal. Absolutely. Flesh that out for me a little bit, Kelly. Our choices just aren't our choices. Yeah. Right? Like again, to take it all the way back to the beginning. Jesus knows us whether we know him or not. Yeah. And these moments are moments of encounter that God can step in. Right. 
right? The same God who left everything on the throne to come and dwell. Yeah. It's still his heart. Right. Just looks a little different, <laughs> right? And so these moments where, whether it's a young girl at a Catholic altar, like, and, I, and I've sat with, you know, in a conference with women, one out of every four are victimized by abortion. Like, how do you share this story and not have compassion for a choice that I didn't make, but maybe somebody else did, yeah. right? And to be able to say, God will redeem it, but there's such redemption that when the Lord, when you choose the way of the Lord, no matter what it is, but yeah. when you choose the way of the Lord and you begin to see his sovereign hand on your life, and then he steps down once again and says, thank you. Yeah. He's so, there's so, so much honor yeah. on that. You're just never going to lose when you do it the way God wants you to do it. You touched on something I'll close out with. Um, years ago, and I'll be vague, um, years ago I was in a group uh, with a bunch of men and uh, I always encourage the men, look, you won't be safe with us your first couple months because that's the nature of relationships and especially male relationships. But at some point when you feel safe, if there's something you have hidden in the dark, you need to bring to the light. We're here and we've signed a covenant with each other. There's an agreement here. It's a safe place. And so I would often open it up. Is there anybody, anything anybody wants to share? And this one particular time, one gentleman shared um, that he and his wife had had an abortion years ago and um, just wept. And I was so proud of the other men in that group, the way they did not condemn them or judge them. And only the men in that group know who it was. Um, and what's crazy is here was this Christian couple. You would never have expected this was in their past. It was a decision they both regret profoundly but they just assumed they would be condemned by the, by the church. And so here's what I tell people. This, if you're listening to this and that's your story, um, you can't undo what is done. If you're facing a decision right now, choose life. But you can't undo what is done, but what you can do is bring it to the cross and find the same redemption we all desperately, desperately need. And I encourage this man, you need to go home and talk to your wife. Because my guess is you guys have this thing in your past you're not talking about. And it's impacting your marriage. You just don't know it. It's impacting your parenting and you don't know it. And you need to go hold each other and you need to cry together. And you need to do something that we were terrible at. It's called lament. You need to grieve what has happened and what's been done um, and receive the mercy of Jesus still today. So I don't know if Miriam or Kelly have anything you want to add to that from what you've seen or stories you've heard. Or if you, I would only add if you are post-abortive and you have not received ministry for it. Mm. Um, Life Centers offers an amazing post-abortive uh, ministry. That's a good word. Um, a woman's heart is ravaged. What uh, my personal experience in ministry sessions, a woman's heart, most women's hearts are ravaged yeah. post-abortion, um, and, and it is the mercy of God that wants to come in yeah. and step into that pain yeah. and take it. Right. The, that's the purpose of the cross is to carry all regret. Yeah. Right. Godly sorrow has no regret. Right. Right. And only God in his touch can redeem it. Yeah. 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 I would say the only thing I would say about it is, is kind of echoing what she said, but just if you are considering it, just realize that it will have way more effect on than you than you think. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just for me seeing women that have been yeah. through it. Like it is so, I mean, it really, really takes a toll on them. So I would just say, 
please find out your options. You know, talk to someone, speak up, get a support system through it because, you know, the the guy or whoever may be saying to do it, but just be aware that this will be something that you carry with you for right forever. I want to close with a a statement that I want to be really clear is coming from Matt Nickerson. It's not coming from Kelly or Miriam. Um, This is hard stuff. And I feel like my job as a pastor is to help people think through it. And most of us haven't thought through these issues uh, outside of whatever we learned in media. Excuse me. Years ago as a pastor in my last church, so it would not be anybody here, a family came to me and they were pregnant with twins. And one of the babies had died. And they had a Catholic background um, before they came to our church. And they were being told by the doctors if they did not remove that child, the other child would die. And they were broken. And these things aren't easy. And what I want to say is two things. Number one, this is where Matt Nickerson lands, okay? So I'm not speaking for Miriam or Kelly. I am always for the best option for life, whatever that means. You need to wrestle that out with doctors and with God and with your pastor. If you don't have one, come talk to us. I'm always for the best option for life. That's not always easily applied, but whatever the best option for life is, is the best option for life. Um, the other thing I would say, it's just me talking, is um, none of these things, none of these things are easy. What medicine has allowed us to do today is far beyond what people say in the Bible days had to deal with. So we get to answer and deal with questions about could I or should I do this or that or the other thing. And um, it takes wisdom. But again, don't be afraid to ask somebody and seek a second opinion. And my last thing is find a Christian doctor. Find a Christian doctor who's going to point you to many different options um, and give you hope. Um, And don't be afraid to ask your doctor, do you love Jesus? (laughs) Not do you believe in God? Do you love Jesus? Because if I have to make some hard decisions in this, I want somebody who's going to help me, guide me in those ways. So you can add, take anything you want from that. Do you guys have anything you want to say? Okay. Well, ladies, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. It's an honor. And uh, we hope you're blessed. Everybody watching online, I want to pray. Are we out here if you don't mind? So Father, right now we come before you. Father, (laughs) Abba. That's the phrase Jesus used for you, God. Daddy. And um, as Kelly shared in her story, she had a, a a big hole, a daddy hole in her heart. And, um, God, we know this. You tell us that you are a father to the fatherless. So however um, anybody watching this got to where they are, whatever uh, wound might be there, if it's an absent father, um, you've never once, never once been absent. Never once. You've never left us. You've never abandoned us. You've never forsaken us. It's not in your character to do that. So God, I pray that you would open the eyes of every person watching this and help them to see and to know just all the ways you have been ever present, blessing and maneuvering and moving and and, and doing the things you do, things that they discounted and discredited as ironic, Father. Instead, would they open their eyes and see it as the hand of a loving dad who is trying to take care and work all things together for the good of those who love you. And we love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.